Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for July 2nd, 2017. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Amy Jack Steen, co-pastor with Russ Steen at Park Road Baptist Church. Her sermon today is entitled, How to Make a Difference in This World. First of all, what a great question. How do I make a difference in this world? This summer we are preaching your ideas, your requests, your questions. We've asked what you wanted to hear a sermon about and you responded. One person asked, how do I make a real difference in the world? It's a great question. I don't know. I do have a few thoughts, but I'll go ahead and tell you after all the reading and all the thinking and all the pondering and all the writing, I don't know how you can make a difference in the world. But here's my shot at the question. It's that great scene from The Help. The black help is raising the little white girl. And sitting in that rocking chair in the little girl's room, Abilene tells little Mae Mobley those three little grammatically incorrect sentences again. You is kind. You is smart. You is important. I bet I watched that clip ten times this week, just trying to let it soak into me. You see, Abilene believes that those three sentences are need, those three sentences need to be planted deep within the psyche of this young girl. How else will she ever grow up to make a difference in the world? And at strategic moments throughout the book turned movie, Abilene gets May Mobley to say it with her. You is kind, she draws it out. You is smart. You is important. I thought of this when I read what blogger Glennon Doyle Melton of Monastery fame told. You should read her blog. She's good. When her son Chase was eight years old, a woman approached them at the grocery store and said, What a handsome boy. What do you plan to grow up? What do you plan to be when you grow up, young man? And Chase, at the ripe old age of eight, answered her and said, I plan to be kind and brave, ma'am. This was just one of the best moments of my life, Glennon says. Kind and brave has been our family's battle cry for as long as I can remember. So I thought then when I read that, if kind and brave has been their family's battle cry, I bet if I search her site for kind and brave, I'm going to find something else. And sure enough, when you do that, you will find a letter that Glennon has written to her son Chase in the early stages of his school career. Dear Chase, When I was in third grade, there was a little boy in my class named Adam. Adam looked a little different. He wore funny clothes and sometimes he even smelled a little bit. Adam didn't smile. He hung his head low and he never looked at anyone at all. 
Adam never did his homework. I don't think his parents reminded him like yours do. The other kids teased Adam a lot. Whenever they did, he hung his head lower and lower and lower. I never teased him. But I never told the other kids to stop either. And I never talked to Adam, not once. I never invited him to sit with me at lunch or to play with me at recess. Instead, he sat and played by himself. He must have been very lonely. I still think about Adam every day, and I wonder if Adam remembers me. Probably not. I bet if I'd asked him to play just once, he would still remember me. I think that God puts people in our lives as gifts to us, Chase. The children in your class this year, they are some of God's gifts to you. So please treat each one like a gift from God, every single one. Baby, if you see a child being left out or hurt or teased, a part of your heart will hurt a little. Your daddy and I want you to trust that heartache. Your whole life, we want you to notice and trust your heartache. That heartache is called compassion. And it is God's signal to you to do something. It's God saying, Chase, wake up. One of my babies is hurting. Do something to help. Whenever you feel compassion, be thrilled. It means God is speaking to you, and that is magic. It, mean, it means that God trusts you and needs you, and sometimes the magic of compassion will make you step into the middle of a bad situation right away. Compassion might lead you to tell a teaser to stop it and then ask the teased kid to play. You might invite a left-out kid to sit next to you at lunch. You might choose a kid for your team first who usually gets chosen last. These things will be hard to do, but you can do hard things, Chase. When God speaks to you by making your heart hurt for another, by giving you compassion, just do something. Please do not ignore God whispering to you. I so wish I had not ignored God when God spoke to me about Adam. I remember God trying. I remember feeling compassion, but I chose fear over compassion. I wish I hadn't. Chase, we do not care if you're the smartest or fastest or coolest or funniest. There will be lots of contests at school, and we don't care if you win a single one of them. We don't care if you get straight A's. We don't care if the girls think you're cute or whether you're picked first or last for kickball at recess. We don't care if you are your teacher's favorite or not. We don't care if you have the best clothes or most Pokemon cards or coolest gadgets. We just don't care. We don't send you to school to become the best at anything at all. We already love you as much as we possibly could. You do not have to earn our love or pride, and you can't lose it. That's done. We send you to school to practice being brave and kind. Just be kind and brave. That's all you ever need to be. Take care of those classmates of yours and your teacher, too, because you belong to each other. Love. Mama. So when you ingrain that in your children from such an early age and the lady at the grocery store says, what do you want to be when you grow up? 
you respond, I want to be brave and kind. This week, I read the book, Wonder. It's a young adult novel that's coming out in a movie soon. Julia Roberts and everything. But I read the book because a friend said it might be helpful in writing this sermon. It's about a boy with a severely disfigured face who goes to school for the first time in the fifth grade. I have not quite finished it. No spoiler alerts in talkback. But already I've been helped by a fifth grade girl who befriends this boy when no one else will and an English teacher who teaches way more than grammar. The fifth grade girl is named Summer and she writes, some kids have actually come out and asked me why I hang out with the freak so much. These are kids that don't know him well. If they knew him, they wouldn't call him that. Because he's a nice kid, I always answer. And don't call him that. You're a saint, Summer, one kid said to me the other day. I couldn't do what you're doing. It's not a big deal. Who knew that my sitting with August Pullman at lunch would be such a big deal? People acted like it was the strangest thing in the world. It's weird how weird kids can be. I sat with him the first day because I felt sorry for him. That's all. Here he was, this strange-looking kid in a brand-new school. No one was talking to him. Everyone was staring at him. All the girls at my table were whispering about him. Julian had already named him Zombie Kid, and that's what everybody was calling him. It's hard enough being the new kid even when you have a normal face. Imagine having his face. So I just went over and sat with him. Not a biggie. He's just a kid. The weirdest looking kid I've ever seen, yes. But just a kid. Did the girl's summer make a difference in the life of this boy whose face repelled most? Yes, she did. Did it stop others from tormenting him or maybe worse, ignoring him? No. But did Summer make a difference? Yes, she did. The fifth grade English teacher in the book, Mr. Brown, posed monthly precept essay, monthly precepts for essay writing. Mr. Brown's precept for the month of October was, your deeds are your monuments. Your deeds are your monuments. He told them that it was written on the tombstone of some Egyptian guy that died thousands of years ago. So August, the boy with the face that was so different, wrote about your deeds are your monuments. He says, this precept means that we should be remembered for the things we do. The things we do are the most important things of all. They are more important than what we say or what we look like. The things we do outlast our mortality. They're like the pyramids that the Egyptians built to honor the pharaohs, only instead of being made out of stone, they're made out of the memories people have of you. That's why your deeds are like your monuments. Now, not just did I go to the movies and fiction literature and bloggers, but I Googled it. 
how to make a difference in the world. And I found all kinds of pithy sayings about how to make a difference in the world, and they were attached to lovely art and scenery, which makes them more true. <laughs> Do it with passion or not at all. No, that's not right. It's a pretty picture, and it sounds awesome, but it's not right. Some things need doing that I don't have a passion for. I still need to do them because the world needs for me to do them. If I wait until I have a passion, it might never get done. Some things have to be done because you ought to. You can pray that the passion will come. Howard Thurman hate to diss him a little bit, but do not ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that because the world needs what, because what the world needs is people who have come alive. Well, yes, but the flip side of that is also true in that sometimes the things that need to be done to make a difference may be the very thing that makes me come alive after I do them. I can't just wait for me to figure that out and then do it. Sometimes I have to do it and then realize that's what makes me come alive. If I only do the things that make me come alive, I will have a tendency to make a difference only in the areas of great interest to me. And then my making a difference by what makes me come alive is just a self-serving exercise. But then I found this one. Because Google, if you search long enough, will give you something good. Two palms facing out. In the right hand, it was written, you can't change the world. And in the left hand, it was written, but you can make a difference. You can't change the world, but you can make a difference. After thinking on it all week, I'd say this is mostly where I land. I probably can't change the world, but I can make a difference. But the question posed this morning was, how? By trying. That's all I got. By trying. Beth Clark, another blogger, writer, said people who really want to make a difference in the world usually do it in one way or another. And I've noticed something about people who make a difference in the world, she says. They hold the unshakable conviction that individuals are extremely important and that every life matters. They get excited over one smile. They're willing to feed one stomach, educate one mind, and treat one wound they aren't determined to revolutionize the world all at once. 
they're satisfied with small changes. Over time, though, she says, these small changes add up, and sometimes they even transform cities and nations and, yes, the world. And so when we've exhausted the Google searches and when we've quoted bloggers and movies and novels, we preachers then like to turn to Jesus to see what he says. And he says, not only will you do the works that I have done, but you will do even greater works than these. He fed the 5,000 men. That means there were probably 10, 15, 20,000. But that didn't mean that no one was ever hungry again. He healed the lame. Like, get up, take up your mat and walk. And they did it. But that didn't mean that every single person on the face of the planet with a limp was now kicking up their heels. He gave sight to the blind. But that didn't mean that everyone could see. He welcomed the outcast and the stranger, but that didn't mean that everyone felt welcomed always and forevermore. So I ask you, did Jesus make a difference? You see, I think sometimes we think that if we can't see the difference we make, then it probably or might not be a real difference. Or if we can't see how what we are doing on a smaller scale impacts systemic change in a global way, then maybe we aren't really making a difference. Why in the world would we keep feeding hungry people at the uptown men's shelter when the very next day another whole group of hungry people are going to come in and some of them are the same ones from yesterday? We're not making a difference. Jesus fed the hungry and there are still hungry people. Did he make a difference? The things that he did, now hold on, the things that he did did not radically change the world. They just didn't. There was still poverty and sickness and despair. The principalities and powers that were ruling under Roman rule still ruled in oppressive ways. He came with a new message. He did incredible things. And he did not radically change the world. You're not going to hear me preachers say that. But he didn't, because there's still poverty, there's still despair, there's still sickness, and we are still under principalities and powers that are counter to every single thing Jesus taught and did. But I'm guessing he had no idea. I really believe this. I think he had no idea we'd still be talking about him over 2,000 years later and setting the course of our lives to follow his. 
Did Jesus make a difference? I think he did. Hello? Why else on a 4th of July weekend would you be here? The truth is we may never know if we make a difference or not. Which makes every single moment pregnant with the possibility that we can. That child that you tutor in reading. Maybe one day he'll cure cancer. You don't know. You don't know. You may never know what that child will come and what kind of difference you have made in his life because you taught him to read better. That woman that stayed in our youth building as our guest because she had no other place to lay her head may finally get the job that supports her family and her grandchild may go on to set policies that make our country better for all. Every single moment, every single encounter is pregnant with the possibility that you can make a difference. Because you is kind. You is smart. You is important. At least that's how Abilene and God see you and that should make a difference may it be so amen we invite you to learn more about park road at parkroadbaptist.org park road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Today's podcast was produced with production help from Hugh Ashcraft, Brian Smith, Bruce White, and Rich Dower. Our theme music was composed by Brandon Michael Williams. Thanks for listening today. Grace and peace to you.